Hi, my name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV. I'm glad you could be with us as we're on the last week of our Enough message series. And do I have enough? That's one of our top money questions that we have. A few months ago, my wife and I were going to a doctor's appointment, and on the way there, we realized we needed cash for parking, and I checked, do I have enough cash for parking? I didn't. So then the whole way there, I'm trying to figure out where are we going to stop for the ATM so that we can have enough cash and then have enough for a tip, and it it was just, it was a whole thing for me where I... I already don't like driving down in the city. It's just, it's not my thing. And so um, adding in, finding an ATM in a busy city just setting just wasn't wasn't my ideal way to go. And so it just, it caused a lot of tension for me on the way to this doctor's appointment. Do I have enough? It's a big money question for us. And the theme verse that we have been looking at in the series is Ecclesiastes 5.10 that says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. So our concern is, do I have enough? But God's concern here, what we see is, his concern is, do you love money? And that's a big concern. Because what it deals with is, is what's going to rule in our hearts? Is money going to rule in our hearts? And that's going to, the, the overflow of our heart is our behavior and action. So if we love money, then that's going to lead to a whole different life than if we choose to follow Christ. Our life flows out of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So let's let's look here at the Bible's definition of a Christian. Because what we've been looking at in this series is how God tells Christ followers to handle their money. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for 40 plus years and um, I want to encourage you not to tune out as we go through the Bible's definition of a Christian. Really look at it. What, what's something different that God is showing you about how he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins? Others of you might be here and you're considering becoming a Christ follower. Lean in. Look at what it's saying here and how you can make that step into eternity with Christ as you take action on the steps that it's talking about here. So the first thing that the Bible says that God loves you and wants you to experience abundant, real life. That's amazing, isn't it? God, the God of the universe, loves me. He created me. And he wants us to experience abundant life. Who better to know the way to abundant life than the creator God. But there's a problem. Rather than turning to God, every one of us began to sin. Sin is going our own way. It's missing the mark that God has given. God has said, live this way, and we're choosing to go a different way, trying to be our own boss. We've all rebelled against God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If if you're wondering about that, just go hang outside our preschool class for a, a little while and you'll see 
there, there's sin in, in all of us as, you know, that class is learning how to share toys and, and things like that. But the, the result of this sin is our separation from God. The Bible says sin has cut us off from knowing God personally. God is perfect. He's without sin, without blemish. He's holy. That's what holy means. There's no way for us to bridge that gap because we have sin. We're, we're unholy. There's no way for us to bridge that gap to have a relationship with God. So instead of experiencing this life and freedom God desires for us, we're, we're dead spiritually. We're cut off from God and actually in bondage to the enemy. So to remedy this situation, God sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and was raised from the dead. Jesus was without sin. He lived the perfect life that we can't live. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that all people without Jesus are destined for hell. But those who repent, that is, turn around and yield their life to Jesus as the boss of their life will become children of God and experience the life and freedom God desires for them. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Christ follower makes Jesus the Lord of their life. And a way to look at this is to look at a, a pie. Now, not a, a pie you bake, but a pie chart. Look at this pie chart. This is how we typically arrange life. We're in the center, and before you become a Christian, this is how it is. We're in the center. We're calling the shots in all these areas, church, school, community, career, family, marriage, money. Jesus is a slice of the pie here. Jesus is just a slice of the pie that we see here. And that, that's a lot of times how we can treat our relationship with God is I have church and I have Jesus over here, but he's not touching these other areas of my life. But Jesus as Lord, confessing that Jesus is Lord, that means he's Lord of all. And he goes in the center of the pie. Jesus needs to slide into the center of the pie and, and call the shots in all areas of life. That's what it means to repent from going our own way and to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life. So we see God's concern with is with our love of money. Because that reveals what's going on in our heart. Is Jesus in the center? Of our heart and we're letting him call the shots. We're letting the Bible show us how to live life that's going to lead towards abundant life, real life. Or are we going to let something else slide into the center and call the shots? And that's what happens when we love money. That piece of the pie starts to grow and grow and grow and it slides into the center. And all of a sudden we're making decisions based on how do we get more money. We're moving across country and our family, which might not be the best thing. Might, it might, but it might not be the best thing because we're going to make more money or whatever it might be. The love of money, it can cause all sorts of problems 
in our life. And that's what God is concerned with because he loves us and he wants us to experience a real abundant life. Now, we've looked in this series at different things about money. We've looked at how how will I have enough? We've looked at debt enough. We've looked at how how much do, how much is saving enough? We we've looked at all these different things. Today we're looking at living beyond enough. The reality is that most in America have more than enough. We have an abundance, um, especially as you compare us to other parts of the world. So what does the Bible say about living beyond enough? Let's take a look at 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's easy to read these verses and just kind of skip past them and think, ah, I'm not, I'm not really rich and I'm not as rich as so and so and so I don't really need to understand what's going on here. But we're going to really dig in to these verses to see what, what is God talking to us about here? And the first thing we want to look at is, is this word rich. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth and, and it goes on. First Timothy was originally written in the Greek, and the Greek word here for rich, it, it means pertaining to that which exists in a large amount with the implication of its being valuable. So other ways to translate this are in a large amount, in abundance, rich, or richly. So maybe you don't feel rich, but do you have an abundance? Do you have more than enough? And that's, that's what we're looking at here. Or maybe you don't have more than enough all the time, but there's there's times where God gives you more than enough. What, what do we do in those times? What's the appropriate response in those times where we have more than enough? Another word I want to look at here, or a couple words, is this, this idea of present world. You know, command those who are rich in this present world. This present world, it's talking about our life here on earth. And the way that this is worded, it provides some very important perspective for us. It says, rich in this present world. This implies that there's, there's riches in this pleasant world that, that we're not going to take with us to, on, into eternity. There's riches in, in this world that we have today, but they're not necessarily building a treasure for us. In eternity. That's a huge perspective, and, and we're going to get to that again at the end of this, this passage. So, what, what's going on here? What, what's the first command that we see? Well, it says we need to watch out for arrogance. Verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. For our enjoyment. Why are we instructed here? First thing, off the bat, 
for the rich, for those who are, have abundance? Why are we instructed to watch out for arrogance? The word for arrogant here, it's high-minded. It's thinking of ourselves as better than other people. I hate to say it, but for me, when I think I have things under control, when I have an abundance in my life, or life just seems to be going smoothly, I can start to deal with arrogance. Like everyone else, these past couple years, they've been crazy since COVID started. Um, there's also been other things, you know, the COVID things and related to Church in the Valley and, and everything have been hard, but there's been things going on in my family at the same time. And so one of my sons started having seizures in the summer of 2020. And at the same time as that's going on, we're trying to figure out how do, how do we be, how are we a church with services online? Do we start having groups in person? Again, how, how do we make this all work while we don't have a place to rent? Because the school we were, we were renting isn't renting to us anymore. Well, God healed my son and it was amazing. He, he stopped having the seizures. But then my wife's autoimmune disease started to act up. It wasn't responding to the medicine that she was on at the end of, of 2020. And then in early 2021, we started to really look, pray for a place to meet for church. And uh, we got the park in March 2021. And then Gina's autoimmune really kicked up. And it got to the point where she needed to have three major surgeries in the last half of, of last year. And at the same time, we're meeting at the park and we find out the park's being renovated. We have to find a new place and then we get the building. So now we're trying to figure out how do we be a church in this building? I don't say all of this just to say, wow, Thad's had it hard these last couple of years or, or anything like this. I say this to say I was desperate over that time period. I was desperate for time with God, desperate for God's perspective in the middle of all these trials that we were going through, all this uncertainty. I did not have a high view of myself in the middle of everything going on. My daily time with God was where he gave me the perspective needed, and I was desperate for that each day. God, give me the strength, give me the encouragement to go on. And I realized something about myself. I realize that when things are going well, I can get arrogant. I cannot look to my time with God as the source of what's really going to keep me going. I can think, I've got this figured out. I've, I've got this all handled. And that's why it's really warning us here to not be arrogant and high-minded. When we have an overabundance of material wealth, we can think, I've got this covered. I did that. I worked hard. That's how that I got all that money. And we can become arrogant and think of ourselves as better and higher than other people. That's what happens with, with money. And that's why it's warning us here to, and cautioning us against arrogance. First Timothy six is, is this warning for us, this first part. Before we get into, okay, what do we do when we have abundance? It's saying, hold on, be careful. Don't become arrogant. And there's more perspective that is, is said here in 1 Timothy 6. It says, to beware of my hope. 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Arrogance has to do with being high-minded. So it's kind of looking at the present, looking backwards, saying, I did that. I, I, I am, I'm in charge here. I can, I can do this on my own. Hope is a confident expectation. That's what this word means here. Money is so uncertain. Look at the stock market over the past six months. Up and down and up and down and up and down. When we have an abundance, it's easy to make that wealth, those material possessions, our hope. That's our, our certain expectation for the future. God's warning us here. He's telling us, don't do that. Wealth is uncertain. Put your hope in the God who never changes, not in the uncertainty of these riches. The next couple of points get really practical here. And I love this next point because it, it, it's one of those that, honestly, it's hard for, for me to do. So what do we do when we have abundance? Enjoy it. Look at what it says here, the end of verse 17. It says, after it says, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that awesome? God wants us to enjoy the money that he provides. God loves us, wants us to have a real, abundant life. My personality, it can lead me to, to really have a hard time enjoying things, especially when I have to spend a lot of money. I, I, can, I can trend towards the cheap side and wanting to save more than, than we really should, uh, we, that we should enjoy. Ecclesiastes 5.19 has been a real help to my perspective. It says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. I just need to accept my lot in life. There's really hard seasons, like we went through the last couple of years, and then there's really good seasons. There's times where we have more money and we can enjoy it, and it, it's going to be in the middle of when others don't have as much, and they're going through a stretch financially. I need to accept my lot in life. That's what it's talking about in this verse. And that's a gift from God that I can accept my lot and just and enjoy and trust him as I'm going through whatever situation we're going through. Some Christ followers can can lean towards asceticism, which is like a self-denial of worldly things. Honestly, I can lean more towards that side. Um, my wife is, is a lot more fun than me. Uh, she helps me to actually enjoy life and the things that God has provided for us. These verses, they give us so much freedom to enjoy what God has given us. We don't need to feel guilty when we use some of the money that God has given us for enjoyment. Enjoy it. Have fun. Go on a good vacation when you have a time of, of abundance. So this this verse here in the end of verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, is it's telling us, it's re- helping us reject asceticism. Um, but the verses that lead that, but if we just reject asceticism, 
it can lead to a life of self-centered indulgence. And that's why it's important to keep in mind all of Scripture, not just pick one verse and say, that's my verse. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy enjoy life. Look at what it says here next. It says, do good and be generous. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. To do good and be generous, for most people, it, it doesn't come naturally. But God works with us. And he helps us to grow into generosity. I want to share a couple different stories with you. The first is I was at this conference uh, one time and there was an opportunity to give money to help somebody who was in need. And so they were passing the buckets around. And I usually, when those things are going on, I, I just usually don't feel this compulsion to, to give towards those things. But I, I just had this sense from God, I need to give. I had 10 bucks in my wallet and I needed to give it. But the thing is, I wanted a burger later. I wanted a cheeseburger later and I needed that 10 bucks because it was a cash only place and it, it, it's a really good cheeseburger. So it's not like a McDonald's uh, cheeseburger. It, it's like a gourmet cheeseburger. I needed that 10 bucks to get that cheeseburger. So I let the, the bucket go by. I didn't obey God and what he was telling me to do. A little bit later, I got this care package from my mom. I was in college that same day. And in that care package was $20. And God rebuked me right there, straight to my heart and my mind. He said, I had you covered. I was going to provide so that you could have that burger. And I purposed in my heart and my mind, okay, I'm going to give the $10 if that opportunity comes again. The opportunity never came again. I missed it. I missed that opportunity. And God seared into my mind when I tell you to give money, to be generous, to do good with the abundance that you have, do it. I'm going to take care of you. Fast forward a couple of years later and Gina and I were newly married. We had saved up some money for an emergency fund, and she, we were facing some dental work that needed to be done, about two to $3,000. And I heard about this opportunity to give to help someone who, who needed something, and God said, you need to give that emergency fund to them. I ran through the same thing of, I don't know about this, God, but at the same time, I remembered that burger story. So I said, okay, I'm, we're going to do it. We're going to give it in faith. And an amazing thing happened. We didn't get the two to 3,000 that we needed for the dental work the next day or anything like that. But God arranged it so that when the work could be done, when the bills came, we just had enough to pay it. And God used both of those situations to really show me He's going to provide and take care of us and give us enough as we do good and are generous. So that's what's going to happen as we, we really work and, and become more generous. God's going to work with us. He's going to help us to do that. When we have an abundance, God's saying, don't be arrogant about it and just do whatever you think you should do. He's saying, don't. Put your hopes in that abundance, 
enjoy it, be generous with it, do good, follow me, pray about it, trust me, I will take care of you through these times. There's times when God gives us an abundance. He wants us to keep the proper perspective that we find in these verses. He gives us some do's and don'ts in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. He says, don't be arrogant. Don't be high-minded because of the abundance you have. Don't put our hopes in in the uncertainty of riches, but do enjoy what God's provided for us and do be good and generous. In the bookends that we see in the middle of this, it talks about the present world. And then in verse 19, it gives us the perspective to keep eternity in mind. Remember, the present world is is this, this world that we're living in, what we can see all around us. But verse 19 talks about something different. It talks about laying up for treasures for the future. Look at this. It says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Remember, God wants us to have a real abundant life. That life is not found in things. It's not found in this love of money. The love of money just makes us want more and more and more. Things can be fun and they can be enjoyed and God wants that for us, but they're not going to satisfy the deepest needs that we have. If you're following along and you have a, a handout or a piece of paper, I want to invite you to just put a dot on that paper, just a little dot like you see on the screen here. That dot represents the present world. Think about living for that dot, trying to store up the riches that, that happen in that dot. Now I want you to write a line with an arrow on it next to it going to going to the right, like you see on the screen here. That line represents eternity. See, what, what happens is we, we can see the dot. We can see that in front of us, and we, we're constantly, our focus is pulled down to live towards this dot, and we lose sight that this dot is just a short amount of time compared to all of, e- of eternity that we have to live for. The love of money is not going to satisfy. Living for the dot is not going to satisfy us. But living for eternity, that line that we can't see, it keeps going far, far, far beyond. That's going to bring the satisfaction and the life that we want. We've covered a lot in this message series. We've looked at how much is enough in week one. In week two, we've looked at enough debt. In week three, am I saving enough? In week four, today, living beyond enough. We typically have next steps at the end of each message series, and we have some that are practically laid out. I want to do something a little different this time. Think back over these messages that we've watched in this series, that we've had in this message series, how much is enough? Enough debt? Am I saving enough? Living beyond? What's God been speaking to you over this last month? 
Is there something that keeps coming up in these different messages? Or was there a particular message that God really spoke to you? And he's saying, trust me, take a, a step of faith and live life my way with your finances and something. Is there something going on that God has been showing you over time? Write that down. Write down something that God has has spoken to you about in this series. Maybe you can do it right away. Maybe you need to get with somebody and just ask for their help and their wisdom and, and ask them, you know, here's what God's shown me to do, but here's my current reality. How do I, I get to the point where I can do that? Ask somebody for help here at CIV. They'd be glad to do that. Spiritual maturity is in taking the Bible and applying it to our life. That's why we have these next steps. So I pray that you can look at what we've done over the entirety of the series and this message today and write down something that you want to put into practice this next week. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you love us. You want us to um, experience real life the way that, that you have made it. I pray that you would Show us um, how to do that, how to respond to this message series, to the message today. Help us to take next steps. Thank you that you are more than enough for us. And I just pray that you continue to show us and provide for us as we seek to live life your way. In Jesus' name, amen.